Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. I just want to say a couple of things. You know, transi- transitions are difficult. Transitions of leadership are challenging. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of one, like Dominic said, and anytime you're following up somebody in ministry, it's very challenging. And so Dominic and Jackie had that, that uh, experience just recently. And so it's hard because whenever you have had a former leader, former youth pastor, um, it's inevitable that when you have a new youth pastor and wife come on that you compare them to the old youth pastor and you know what it wasn't done like this previously and and I don't really like this that Dominic and Jackie do and so they they have to live under the pressure of the expectations that come with a new role and so it's difficult it's challenging in a transition but I just want to say that I believe that Dominic and Jackie have done a phenomenal job if you guys believe that can you give me a shout I believe that the transition has been seamless. I believe that um, they have just really jumped in there with all with all of their heart, and it's evident in the way that you guys are here and you're passionate and you're excited in worship. And I did love the acoustic worship set. I thought that was such a great feel. I really loved it. And so uh, I just want to just say thank you to, to Dominic and Jackie. Y'all doing a great job. Okay, so I need a, a volunteer. We're going to do an eye exam tonight. I actually have a, a real eye chart. We can actually di- diagnose you tonight. You have to be nearsighted, and you have to be wearing glasses. All right, Frankie, once you come up, Frankie. All right, so Frankie, you're really nearsighted. Are you half blind with, with, without your glasses? Okay, so we taped it off here. There's 10 feet, so you, you stand right there. And actually, I have instructions. This is, I called Dr. Bud Cloutier, a great eye, eye doctor in home, and got some information here. And so we're going to do a, an eye exam here, see how blind Frankie really is. So it says, place the chart on a wall or an easel 10 feet away. Well, we don't have a wall that's 10 feet away, so I will be the wall. And so, Frankie, you're going to cover, you have to take your glasses off, and you're going to cover one eye with your hand, and then we'll test your vision. Um, and so basically what you need to do is you need to, with one eye covered, you need to read, tell me which uh, row that you can read without squinting. So cover one eye w- with your hand. You know it's an E because you saw it with your glasses, so you are really blind. From 10 feet away, you can't see that. All right, well, let's test the other eye. Same thing. Okay, so you're basically blind again. Okay, great. It would. I I, I pre-tested this last. Uh, me and uh, Kyo did it, and I'm blind as much as I'm, I'm. I'm as blind as you are. So we're about the same. I wonder what it'd be like. Hey, let's change. I want to see if I can see through your glasses, and then you can try to tr- try mine out. Let's see what this, see what happens here. It's better, man. You. Yeah, that's not very good. You can see it good. Okay, <laughs> it's awkward. Okay. Okay, so now let's put your glasses on and let's see what row you can read.
Okay, you don't have to read all of them. Well, can, um, let's, let's read uh, row number nine. That's the smallest letter there. You're still blind. <laughs> you need to go back to the eye doctor. <laughs> so, okay, can you read eight? Row eight? Frankie. Frankie. It really is. Okay. So, you, are, are you driving right now? Okay, row six? Okay, read it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's a Z. That's a Z. No, the, the very last one's a P. Well, well, you got the majority, and I think on that thing it said that if you get the majority of them. But I, my recommendation, my professional recommendation, is that you go see an eye doctor because you're struggling. Thank you for your help tonight. Awesome. Totally non-professional there. We got an eye, an eye doctor's daughter here tonight. She probably could have given the eye exam. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I, I just wanted to give an eye exam because I want us all to, real, to, to see something tonight. And that is that if you don't have the right lens with which you look through life, uh, you don't see properly, right? So without the correct lenses, you don't see correctly. And so Dominic started a, a study on the Gospel of Luke. And when you do a study on a, on a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, it is a front row vision of who Jesus is. It is a front row vision of the life of Christ. You get to see him up close and personal, how he was born, uh, his, 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 his upbringing and his life, his ministry, his, how he healed people, how he did miracles. And you, you get to see the life of Jesus. Like the, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels are a front row seat to who Jesus is. But you have to be able to have the right lenses on to be able to see him. And so there, there's some people in this life who don't see Jesus correctly. There's some people in life, when they look at the gospel message, when they look at one of the gospels and they read about Jesus, they don't see him correctly because they don't have the right lenses on. And this is what scripture tells us. I just want to read this scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. It says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And that's talking about a spiritual death, to those that are dying spiritually. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, these perishing spiritually dead people, in their case, the God, and notice it's a, it's a lowercase g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the apostle Paul is saying there that there are people, there are unbelievers in this life, that they are blinded, just like Frankie was blinded. She could not read, and even with her glasses on, she was still half-blinded. But there's people just like Frankie, spiritually, they're blinded to seeing who Jesus is. They don't know what he looks like. And even if somebody went and opened the Bible and read the Gospel of Luke to them, they're, they're still blinded. It takes the Holy Spirit to open their eyes when they hear the Gospel message preached. 
And it says that the God of this world blinds them. And who is the God of this world? The lowercase g God of this world. Satan. Satan is the God of this world. He is the, he is the, the God of this world that influences people and tries to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tries to keep them from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He blinds them. How, how does the God of this world blind people? Y'all can talk to me. What are ways in which you think the God of this world blinds people? Worldly things, you say, and, and doubt? Doubt, yes. He would use your doubt, absolutely. Doubt, mind games, very, very similar. Rejection against us, absolutely. Anybody else? What does Satan use to, to, to blind people? Social media. That is absolutely a, yeah. Y'all are clapping for that one, right? How does God use social media to keep people from seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's, it's, a, it's a distraction. People will live their life through social media, and that's, that, that's their whole world, and they're just wrapped around an alternate reality, and they can't evaluate life for what it truly is. And so God uses, uh, Satan uses that to blind them from seeing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at the gospel of Luke, and we're going to see who Jesus is. And this is what you have been seeing. You've been seeing the life of Jesus as Dominic, and I think Jeremy Smith came and preached, and, 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 and you've been seeing the life of Jesus unfold, and it is a glorious life. It is a beautiful life. It is a life of our Savior. And so we want to continue to look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to look uh, at Luke 5. And we're, going to go, and we're going to cover all the way through uh, some sections in, in Luke 6. And we just want to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? How do you see him? Are, are you blinded? Maybe some of you here tonight, you are spiritually blinded like, we, we, like, like I described. And you really don't see Jesus for who he is. Well, my prayer tonight is that through the preaching of the gospel, as we see our beautiful Savior, as he is described in Scripture, that, that, that those blinders will fall off through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will see him for who he is. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus made bold declarations about who, who he is and who he was. And one of them, uh, we're going to actually start in the Gospel of John, because this is one of his declarations here. And Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees in Jesus' day were the religious leaders of the Jews. And so they were considered the elite of the elite of the religious people. They were, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were super religious. They had the first five books of your Bible, the Old Testament, memorized. Can you imagine that? Having Leviticus memorized? I mean, that is intense. They were completely devoted to the Old Testament law. They were super religious. And so he was having a conversation with, with them, and they were arguing about who he was, and, 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 and he was confronting them about their false religious system and how, or how they approached their religious system. And, and this is kind of the conversation here. So we're going to peek in on this conversation and kind of see who Jesus says that he is. So Jesus answered them. This is John 8. It says, if, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. Is he speaking of his Father God? You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. How, how, how offensive is that to these men? They have the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, memorized. And Jesus looked at them and said, you don't even know him. 
You don't even know him. I know him, he said. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. So what's, what's, Paul, what, what's Jesus saying there? He's saying that by faith, Abraham placed his faith in God, that he was the one true God, and that he by faith was accounted righteous because he had a faith in the one true God. And he was looking forward to the coming day of Jesus. And, and listen to the response. The people said, you, you, you aren't even 50 years old speaking to Jesus. How can you say you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. So what was Jesus saying there? He was saying that he was God. And that, 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 that term, that name, I, that, word, that phrase, I am, that name, I am, is a name to describe God. We see that in the Old Testament. So he is paralleling himself with God. Before Abraham was, I am. He is saying, Jesus is saying that I am the eternal God. Before Abraham existed, I am. I existed. And this is what happened. At this point, the Pharisees and those with them picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So they thought he was blaspheming. How can you say that you're God? You're not even 50 years old. You're saying that you are eternally existent, that before Abraham was born, that you existed? And so he is boldly, Jesus was not shy in declaring that he was God, that he was not just a common, ordinary man. But hey, it's it's one thing to say you're God, right? You know, it's one of you could just start talking like you're God. But you got to be able to back that up, don't you? You, you can't just say, well, I'm God, or I'm, uh, or, or, or let's say, like for me, example, I can't really say that I'm a football player because I've never really played football in my life in any real sense of the word. And if I, I'm going to go out to the home of Christian game on Friday and root for our 3-0 and team, isn't that awesome? And they're, I've, I've already been told that they're going to go 4-0. I've already been given a guarantee by, by somebody in the room. And uh, I'm just praying that pride doesn't come before before a fall. <laughs> I'm really going to pray for them this week. But I, I believe it's a good chance it will be 4-0. But like if I go to the game, or when I go to the game, if I got out on the field, I would break my collarbone like Bailey Robichaud did. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> just saying. That's, is, is Bailey here? I think he had surgery today, so he's, he wasn't going to be here. I'm not really ragging on him. I'm just stating the reality of what happened but I would break more than my collarbone because I am not designed to play football. I can talk a big talk, but I really can't back it up because I'm not, I'm not literally not built for football. I'm built for golf. That's my game. <laughs> Non-contact, hit a little white ball as far as you can with the wind at your back is the best option. Um, so, but Jesus made a bold claim, the boldest claim to ever be made. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He claimed that whenever, when his disciples asked him, can you show us the Father? What does the Father God look like? You know what Jesus said? He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He boldly declared he was God, but he backed it up. And this is what we're going to see in Luke. So how did Jesus back up this claim that he was God? Well, Dominic would have touched on some of this last week. 
Jesus demonstrated power over some things. The first thing he demonstrated power over was in Luke chapter 4. And this is his temptation in the wilderness. He demonstrated power over Satan, over sin, over temptation. Everything that Satan threw at him, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus used the word of God and defeated sin and temptation. And he demonstrated power over Satan and his, and his demons and over temptation. And then if you go further on in, in, in Luke, you see even uh, in Luke 4, some demons begin to shout out at Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated power over the demons and cast the demons out and commanded them to shut up and they silenced themselves. And it says in Luke 4 that they recognized and they said that he was the son of God. The demons recognized that he was the son of God. And then you go further on in Luke 5. This is the calling of, of Simon Peter as a disciple of Jesus. Simon Peter, it says in Luke 5, he was toiling all night and could not catch any fish. And it says that Jesus the next day uh, uh, got in the boat and it says that he got Simon Peter and those that were with him to, to go out a little further off, a little further off the shore where they had uh, docked their boat and, and he told them, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they had, they had toiled all night and they knew there was no fish and Jesus went out and told them to cast their net and it says that they, 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 they hauled in so much fish that it almost broke their net. How, how can you do that unless you're God? He demonstrated power over even creation. He could on command cast a net and reel in fish because he was God. And there's other references in the Gospels. Some of you have heard that Jesus was with his disciples in a boat and the storm came, right? The winds and the waves are blowing. And what did Jesus say? Peace be still. And at his very command, his very words, he calmed the winds and the waves. So Jesus is backing up this claim that he is God. He's backing up this claim. So we're going to keep going further here. So he, 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 he demonstrates power over sin, temptation, Satan, demons, creation. And now we're going to hone in on one other area that he demonstrated power over to back up his claim. And this is the area of sickness. And you, you see throughout the life of, of the, the ministry of Jesus in, in all four Gospels, he heals everyone that he comes in contact to, except in his own hometown. But he heals everyone. And here's an account of this. This is in Luke 5, 18 through 25. It says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So here's a picture. Words spreading about Jesus, that he, he can heal, that he's a powerful man. He can do miracles. And so there's this paralyzed man, and this paralyzed man has some friends. And the friends say, hey, we got to get you in to this healer, to this man who's healing people. But there's no way for them to get in. The crowd is too thick. It's too many people. So what do they do? They get creative, and they climb up on top of the roof, and they bust through the roof of this house to get in and they drop them down before Jesus. I don't know if they dropped them. They, they lowered them down. Uh, and, and, it's, and, and so let's continue on after they lowered them down. And they, it says they, 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 they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees begin to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. So Jesus demonstrated the power to heal the sick. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's God. And that, that's, that's the first thing that, that's the first point. It's the first thing that, that we see. When you see Jesus as revealed in the gospels, when you see what we see in scripture as demonstrated in the life of Jesus, we have to declare that he is God. He has power over sin. He has power over Satan. He has power over temptation. He has power over sickness, over creation. He can calm the winds. He can calm the waves. He is God. But there's one final proof that he demonstrated that proved that he was God. And what proof was that? It was the resurrection. So you can't claim to be God and claim to be eternal if when you die, you die and it's done. So as Jesus went on in his life, and as, you, as we continue in the study of the, of the gospel of Luke, you're, you're going to get to the point where you're going to see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see how they brutally, how the religious leaders of the Jews brutally beat Jesus and spit on him and mocked him and crucified him and how he died. But then you're going to see as you go through the gospels that that wasn't the end. So Jesus, the, the most powerful demonstration of Jesus's deity, of the fact that he was God, was in the fact, the reality that he rose from the dead. And we see this. This is what you're going to read later on in your study in Luke 24. This is a final proof of his deity, of the fact that he is God. This is Luke 24. It says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Jesus demonstrated by having power over sin, temptation, the devil, sickness, creation, and ultimately over death itself. He proved that he was God. He proved that he was the son of God. And that, and that because he proved that he was the son of God, he backed up his claims as being the only way to salvation. You can make bold claims, but until you back it up, your claims have no value. So Jesus is God. That's what we see. That is a clear picture of Jesus in the Gospels, in all four Gospels, and as we're studying in the Gospel of Luke. So when, whenever you put your lenses on, you put your glasses on, and you look into the Gospel, we clearly see that Jesus is God. What's the second thing that we see? We see that Jesus is full of compassion. Say that with me. Say, Jesus is full of compassion. Jesus is full of compassion. Let's look at Luke 5, 12 through 13. This is in the section that we were recovering here tonight. We're going to see the compassion of Jesus. This is a, uh, the healing of a leper. It says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. 
And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him. He said, Lord, if you will, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand. And what did he do? It says there, it says, he touched him. He touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. What's so powerful about this healing other than the fact that he healed this leper? You know, leprosy back in these days was not fully understood. It was a skin disease. It was contagious. And there was a, st a stereotype for lepers. And for lepers in Jesus's day, they were ostracized from the community. Actually, there was there were laws that the Jews had about lepers. It says that that if you would remain a clean and not unclean, a leper was, was categorized as unclean. If you were to remain unclean, you couldn't even come within six feet distance from somebody that was a leper and still remain clean. If you got within six feet of, of a leper, then you were categorized as unclean and you would have to be separated from your family. If you were married and had kids, you had to be separated, moved to another part of the town and live with all the other lepers. Six feet. If the wind was blowing, in a certain direction, if, if, if the wind was blowing strong in the direction of a leper and it went past the leper, you couldn't be within 150 feet of, of the leper because just in case with that wind blowing past the leper, somehow you would catch what that skin disease. And so, so there were so many stereotypes about lepers. And so they were ostracized. And what did Jesus do? He touched him. Could Jesus have healed this leper in, in a different way? Jesus could have thought in his mind, be healed to the leper. He could have just thought, be healed. He could have spoke, be healed. But what did he do? He demonstrated his compassion by touching the unclean person, the person that is, is stereotyped and, 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 and is categorized as somebody that you can't even be around. You can't even be near them or you will be unclean. He got down with him and touched him. He demonstrated his compassion. Jesus is compassionate. Do you see him as full of compassion and loving to those that are unclean, unholy, unloving? He's full of compassion. And we go further on in Luke. There's the calling of Levi, Matthew, as a disciple. And Levi Matthew is a tax collector. And tax collectors in Jesus' day were considered the worst of the worst sinners. And here's why they were considered the worst of the worst sinners. Because they were Jewish tax collectors who would steal from their own people. They would collect taxes for the, for, for the Roman government. And so they would collect that tax from the government, but they would, they would hike up the tax a little higher and collect it from their people and pocket the difference. Turn in what Rome wanted for them for the tax, but they would steal from their own people because they had the power to do it because they were backed by Rome. So the Jews hated the tax collectors. They were despised. And so in Luke, it says that Jesus goes to the house of a despised sinner. And it says that he, that he calls Levi Matthew and he says, follow me, leave everything, come after me, be my disciple. And it says that Levi celebrates. He says, this, this can't be true. How is this that this powerful teacher who does miracles, wants to be around me, wants to be with me, wants me to follow him. And he wants to celebrate so much. It says in Luke, it says that he, that, that Levi says, I want you to come to my house and we're going to throw a party. And Levi says, I'm going to invite all my other tax collector buddies and we're going to invite you over and we're going to have dinner. And so you know what happens? Jesus gets ridiculed and mocked 
And people are angry at him. The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious Jews are angry at Jesus because they say, well, he claims to be a a good man. He claims to be the son of God. He claims to be holy and he's doing all these things. But how is it that he eats with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus tells them this amazing statement when they're questioning him about why he went to this sinner's house. He said this. He said, don't you understand that those that are well don't need a doctor? Those that, that have it all together, those, those that are good and are right and are true, they don't need help. They don't need fixing. It's those that are broken. Those that are sinful are the ones that need help. So in, in and throughout all of the Gospels, you see over and over again the demonstration of the compassion of Jesus. He said he was God. He demonstrated it through power that he was God. He backed it up. But also in his life, when you see through the lens of the gospel, you see that not only was he God, but he wasn't so high as God that he did not demonstrate, that he could not demonstrate a compassion and a love for those that he came to save. He touched the unclean. He sat at the house with sinners and tax collectors and those that had no respect in their community. Jesus didn't come to save those that were found. He came to save those that were lost. And, you know, I think we struggle with that. I think we struggle with seeing people correctly. We struggle with seeing people through the correct lens. You know that the homosexual, the adulterer, the liar, the thief, the murderer, we can go through the list of a lot of big sins that we call really huge sins. We can go through that list. You, do you know who those people are? They are image bearers of God. They are created in the image of God like you are. As believers, we're created in the image of God. As non-believers, we're created in the image of God. They are image bearers of God. And here's what we do with people who need help. With people who are sick and lost, we tend to put them in categories and, and, and we, we try to we separate them from the position of being an image bearer of God and we make them their sin. We say, well, this is who they are. If you're a homosexual, that's who you are. That is not your identity. If you're an adulterer, that is not who you are. You are an image bearer of God. You have been made in the very image of God. Now, the way in which you live in sinful ways is, is an affront, an attack against the image of God. And God desires that through the lens, through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people would walk free from the sins that entangle them and, and ensnare them. But as believers, I'm going to speak to us as Christians, we have to stop relating to people the way we typically relate to them. We need to relate to them the way Jesus related to them. How did Jesus relate to them? He touched them. He had dinner at their house. He pursued them. What did the religious leaders do? They stayed away from them. Like, I can't even get within six feet of them. And I would never go in their house. Jesus was full of compassion. He knew why he came. He knew what his purpose was. He knew that he came to bring healing to the sick, to bring spiritual sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bound. That was his calling. We saw that in, in Luke 4. He declared that he was anointed by God to, to do that. Jesus was full of compassion. That's who our Jesus is. Do you see him? Do you have the right lenses on? Can you see Jesus? He's the son of God. He is God. 
He is full of compassion. Oh, that we would see people like Jesus sees them. We need to see people for who they really are, the image bearers of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is full of compassion. What's the third thing we see in, in conclusion here? We see in the Gospels, and specifically in the Gospel of Luke that we're covering tonight, we see Jesus is calling us to follow him. He's God. He's full of compassion. But we also see that he's calling us to follow him. I have some a couple more scriptures to read that, that demonstrate Jesus' call for those who don't know him to follow him and his call for those who have come to faith to follow him in evangelism. Let's look at Luke 5, starting in verse 9. It says this, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. This is what we talked about earlier with Peter. And also, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. Say that with me. Say, left everything. Left everything and followed him. What, what is Jesus calling us to do? To leave everything and follow him. You can't follow him unless you leave everything. That's the gospel. You can't follow Jesus unless you're willing to leave everything. What does it mean to leave everything? It means you give up your life. It means you lay down your life. Following Jesus is not saying, hey, Jesus, you're going down a pretty cool path. I think that's pretty sweet. I'm going to try it out for a little while, but I'm going to hang on to a little bit of my life. I'm going to hang on to those friends that I know are not godly and are influencing me towards sin. I'm going to hang on to that, that sin that's been, entang that's been entangling me. I'm, but, but at the same time, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to follow you, try to follow your ways. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not, is not saying, you know, well, well, you know, Christianity is like uh, other religions and you just kind of try it out and see what works for you, what's the best option for you to get closer to God. Christianity is an exclusive faith because of who Jesus is. Because of seeing through the lens of the gospel, because of the truth claims of Christ, he didn't, he didn't create any gray areas. He didn't just say, I'm a good teacher, I'm a good man, just follow my ways, follow my principles, and that's good enough. He, made, he cut a straight path, and because he backed up his claims by having power over Satan, over sin, over disease, and over death in the resurrection, then he, did, he proved that his claim about being the only way was true. And so following Jesus is leaving everything. It's laying it all down. It's saying, God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I'm laying down my entire life, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, the things I thought I was called to do and be. And I'm saying, God, I'm surrendering at the feet of Jesus Christ. That is salvation. Nothing else. You know, there, there, are, there, are, there are temptations in our culture just to kind of, in our, in our time, just to be a cultural Christian, just to kind of blend in, just to have Christianity as kind of a, a side option in your life. Well, that's not Christianity. That's not what we're called to. We're called to a radical faith, a radical faith. So Jesus is God. 
He's full of compassion. This is what we see when we see through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the gospels of Jesus Christ. But we also see he's calling us to follow him, just like he called Peter, just like he called Levi Matthew. He's calling us to leave everything. What's another thing he's calling us to do? Let's look at Luke 10. It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, catch this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So as believers, what else is he calling us to? First, he's calling us to be believers. He's calling us to be followers of him, to lay down everything. And then after you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he's asking you to get busy. He asks, he's asking you to follow him in making disciples of all nations. He's asking you to join him in the work of evangelism. He's asking you to join him in the greatest calling you could ever have in your entire life. And that is helping people who are spiritually blind to put on the right glasses and to see Jesus for who he really is as the compassionate son of God who is full of love and full of mercy and full of grace. You wanna join me in that calling? You wanna join me in following Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Do you see him correctly? Do you see him? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he lovely and wonderful and most worthy to be followed? Jesus is amazing. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's awesome. There's not enough adjectives to describe the Son of God. You know, one day, a lot of people don't want to see this vision of Jesus. But when you study the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, you know, there's a vision of Jesus. He has eyes like flames of fire. He has feet like burnished bronze. He has a two-edged sword, a flaming two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This is a vision that John saw. And it's a vision of judgment. And it's the reality in scripture that we see that not only is Jesus God and full of compassion and love and grace and mercy, but Jesus is a God of justice. And there will be a day, scripture tells us, that Jesus will, that God will end time and he will say, it's no more. The time of grace and mercy and the opportunity for those to surrender to, to Christ is done and Jesus will bring judgment. It's a reality of scripture. That's who Jesus is. Have you seen Jesus? Do you have an accurate picture of who Jesus is? Would you stand with me?